0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob. As always, I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Here he is. He's my co-host. Chris, what's going on, man?
1: Not much, man. Football was fantastic this weekend. Yeah. Five high-quality games if you stretch the weekend into Monday, so... Very fun time, and it's good that college football ended on a high note after a supremely boring and dud filled New Year's Six.
0: No, certainly. Um, it, it was a great football weekend for sure, and uh, high stakes football as well. Uh, four NFL playoff games, college football national championship game on Monday. It was good football being played uh when big things were on the line so it was a really good weekend and yeah that was very satisfying the 45 to 40 alabama victory over clemson on monday uh it was a good game start to finish something that we hadn't really had uh, especially like you said on new year six really the whole bowl season i mean pickings were far and, and few between for for quality bowl games and thankfully the number one Or Alabama and Clemson gave us uh, a good way to to end what was a a very exciting college football season. Uh, You know, we're gonna get into the details of it, but Chris, what was your general impression of that national title game?
1: Well, anyone who watched that game, I think it's very hard to deny that the two best teams were playing on Monday. Uh, you saw the balance and the dynamic playmakers on offense. You saw—I mean, I know it was forty-five to forty, but there were some good defensive plays too. And I know it wasn't a defensive game. I'm not trying to say that, but there was some very, very strong defensive plays in the trenches. Uh, quarterbacks got hit. Uh, things seemed easy at time. There were some big plays, but but at times they kind of struggled too. There were some special teams plays at all facets of the game made plays last night, and you you really got a sense that the two best teams were on the field. I know that Stanford fans and Ohio State fans are kind of shouting, we should have gotten a shot, but you know what? They both had a shot in the regular season. Stanford lost twice. Ohio State lost to Michigan State, who got throttled by Alabama. I don't think anyone can say that the two best teams weren't in this game, because if you watched them play, they certainly looked and felt Like they were the clear-cut two best teams in college football. And honestly, if the game were three minutes longer, Clemson probably would have won. Because it was just that kind of game. One more possession, one more chance, and the other team wins. It was a back-and-forth, fantastic finish. Um, Clemson certainly had its chances, uh, but it just didn't make enough big plays. Uh, And Alabama made a ton of big plays. I counted four touchdowns of 50 yards or more including a 95 yard kick return uh bob i think that says right there that just shows right there uh what alabama did to step up and take the championship
0: yeah absolutely um you know the 45 to 40 scoreboard makes it look like a shootout like you said but 40 of those points were scored in the fourth quarter so going in that fourth quarter it was all tied up or excuse me clemson was up 24 to 21 uh that's still not a defensive slugfest but There was good defense being played, and I had a a couple general impressions of this game. First and foremost, if Alabama were playing any other team, uh, any other quarterback not named Deshaun Watson, I think Alabama would have easily won this game. There were plays all throughout the night where Deshaun Watson eluded one or two or three of those big, bad defensive linemen from Alabama and stretched the play either with his legs or with his arm or both into big third down conversions big first down gains uh he kept them in into the game and if Deshaun Watson was somehow able to lead Clemson back and win this game I think it would have been a, an incredibly highlight moment uh very similar to what Vince Young did against the USC Trojans a few years back uh for me this game was very good start to finish I though it was not a historically great game for me just because there wasn't a key fourth-quarter drive or player that took the team on his back and drove the team to victory. Alabama got contributions from everybody. I mean, Jake Coker had an okay night, didn't turn the ball over, but he did take a lot of sacks. Derrick Henry did his thing. O.J. Howard, a tight end who I think had 300 yards coming in to this game, had five receptions for 208 yards receiving and two touchdowns. Very well deserving of that offensive MVP. Uh, Kenyon Drake with that, inter- with that kick return for a touchdown. Then the onside kick as well. I mean, the fourth quarter was just a bag of tricks from Alabama and key contributors. There wasn't that singular player who made it their moment, and I think that kind of detracted from the drama. But from start to finish, this was a very great game to watch.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that fourth quarter, 40 points. That's unreal. Uh, It was probably one of the most entertaining quarters in college football history, if not easily one of the most entertaining quarters of the season. Uh, Jake Coker was very solid, 16-25, 335 yards. Uh, Derrick Henry showed why he won the Heisman, 36 carries, 158 yards, three touchdowns. He had that 50-yard touchdown run early. But you're right, Deshaun Watson was the man, and... Even though he didn't win MVP because you usually give it to the winning team, he was the MVP of the game for me. 30 of 47, 405 yards passing, four touchdowns to one interception. And on the rushing, he was their leading rusher, too. 20 carries, 73 yards, making plays all night, under duress most of the time. I mean, I can't tell you how many times the Alabama defense laid a walloping hit on him. He gets the ball out just in time and completes the pass. I mean, he was phenomenal. The The game, even though they lost, the, the, I'm always going to remember his performance. It was a sort of a legendary moment without the happy finish. It was kind of like, you, you used the Vince Young example, and it was a perfect example, minus the clutch drive to win the game. Uh, You know, had Derrick Henry not gotten in on that third down, again, I think Alabama would have gone for it on fourth down, but that's a story for another day. Uh, Had they somehow stopped them there, and Clemson gets the ball back down eight or five or whatever, and he could lead them down, then yes, that would have just been the ultimate finish. But unfortunately, it didn't happen for Clemson. But you're right, you got to give Alabama all the credit in the world how many times have we talked about Alabama special teams letting them down? A lot. And this time around, Alabama special teams were arguably what won in the game. 95-yard kick return for a touchdown that that was the backbreaker right there. But the onside kick that led to uh, O.J. Howard's second 50-yard tight end, or excuse me, 50-yard touchdown reception was another backbreaker. So And of course they had the block kick early on. So that right there is a 17 point swing on special teams for Alabama. Easily the difference in the game. Alabama special teams were huge last on Monday and arguably the, and probably the reason that they won the game.
0: Yeah, certainly special teams they've cost Alabama. So many games uh, have put Alabama in such tight situations in the past. And last night it came through for them and they, they came up big. I, I also think that um, Lane Kiffin deserves a lot of credit for calling the game that he called last night. Uh, I, I tell you, the last two years uh, with Lane Kiffin as offensive coordinator, I know that he has gotten a lot of flack for his head coaching stints at Tennessee and USC and Oakland and the NFL. But as an OC in the last two years with Alabama, I've never seen more receivers get open wide open down the field 30 yards down the field where there's just not a single defender around him then with this alabama offense called by play lane kiffin he called some really gutsy plays at certain times that led to huge gains he got guys wide open again last night oj howard was wide open a couple times um i i think he deserves a lot of credit for just using derrick henry as a decoy in some of those short yardage situations and and calling these play action plays that that led to huge bombs for jake coker who uh while his stats do reflect a good night he was having trouble at times and he was having trouble making reads he was holding on the onto the ball a lot i think the clemson defensive line had at least six sacks on him so i think kiffin deserves a lot of credit for last night for uh Kind of adjusting that offense and getting some huge plays that Alabama always been known for.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, Lane Kiffin has done a fantastic job as a coordinator in Alabama. You know, his stint at USC didn't end well. He had Tennessee playing pretty well his one year there. I don't think he stayed long enough to forge a true legacy. And I kind of thought he got a raw deal in Oakland. I thought when they fired him, they were turning it around. The year before, they could have fired him because they had a disappointing year. But but when they fired him, it was an odd time. They were kind of turning the corner there. So Lane Kiffin is going to be an intriguing name to watch if he gets a, what would it be, a fourth chance at a head coaching job between his college and pro experience. Uh, I certainly think that he's probably going to be a head coach again sometime soon with all the success that he's had with Alabama, whether or not it's this year or next year i don't know i think it would probably be a little too late for the college ranks but there are still a lot of pro jobs open right now i mean only one uh one has one vacancy has filled so wouldn't surprise me if people kick the tires and see if lane kiffin is open to returning to the nfl
0: yeah certainly he's only 40 which is hard to believe that he's a former head coach of three big time programs uh two on the college level one at the nfl level and he's already had a redemption at Alabama. He's only age 40. So he has tons of time to become a head coach. And I think the next time he actually becomes a head coach, he, he might stick because like you said, he showed promise in the past has gotten a raw deal, has brought some other things upon himself. Uh, maybe was unfairly billed as a savior for, for USC. Um, but the last two years at Alabama, he kind of took some humble pie. And I think he does have a promising future and, and is still very young. Um, He's under Nick Saban, who now, Alabama, four national championships in the last seven years. Chris, what does this final national championship, this latest one, do to Alabama's legacy, and what does it do uh, for Nick Saban's legacy, who also has that fifth one with LSU?
1: Well, his legacy in college is forged in stone, and it was before this game. You know, one of the first podcasts we did was the Super Bowl. Actually, it was our first podcast, our Super Bowl recap, and we had a similar situation with Brady and Belichick. And you said it best. Their legacy was already formed. That Super Bowl meant nothing. It was just icing on the cake. This is just icing on the cake. I mean, Nick Saban has been the number one coach in college football for at least the last 10 years, ever since he returned to Alabama. And even before that with LSU, he was a high quality head coach. This just puts him even further in the stratosphere um, losing this game wouldn't have tarnished his legacy. I mean, he has four national championships with two different programs. His college legacy is perfectly intact, and you can't argue that he is the best coach in college football right now, and has been for at least the last decade. Um, certainly, those two years in the NFL uh, are have a lot to be desired. I don't know if he'll ever make the jump to try to redeem himself, kind of like what. Pete Carroll is doing but I think you're seeing now in this age of the NFL college coaches moving up are having more success Pete Carroll Jim Harbaugh Chip Kelly before he got all the power had back-to-back 10 win seasons so this isn't your old school NFL I think the rule changes in the NFL make it easier for a college coach to succeed because you're seeing more college-esque formations in the NFL, college-esque type things happening in the NFL. I think that's the only blemish on the Nick Saban legacy is that he went to the NFL and failed. But if you're talking about him as a college coach, you can't deny it. He's the best, easily right now and of his era. The only question is, will the NFL tempt him to try and uh, redeem himself and prove that he can win at that level as well? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't I I just get the feeling that he's really not interested in going to the NFL and it's hard to blame him. He has such a a powerhouse going in terms of recruiting and what he's able to accomplish in the SEC. So, yeah, I I agree with you completely. This is uh last 10 years, last 15 years, this has been the Nick Saban era and, you know, it the last 8 years really have been the Alabama era as well and and even before this game, that was the case. And, and now it's virtually impossible to argue. Otherwise um, he, he, he has been the best uh, of his generation uh, uh, at the college level. So, yeah, I just don't think that he's really interested. I think his strengths in terms are program building are running a program and bringing in guys that fit your program. And he does that probably better than anybody else at the college level. I don't think those skills translate to the nfl uh where you need good coaching and, and, a, and a and great game playing not saying that he's a bad at that but his strengths lie in, in, in running the program which is a little more hands-on than what he would do at the nfl so i think he's in the right spot and i don't think he's going anywhere
1: there's some general managers opening too maybe he'll go to the nfl as a gm i'm obviously just kidding not gonna <laughs> happen he would not leave the alabama job to take a general manager's post but yeah i, I don't see why he would leave I mean, the only reason he'd leave is for himself to prove to everyone that he could coach at that level. It's sort of an ego thing. He's got the best gig right now. He has four titles in college. He's not going anywhere. He's set in stone in Alabama. He's got that well-oiled machine revving up. The only thing that could derail it is NCAA infractions, which who knows? I'm not not insinuating anything there, but certainly that would be a buzzkill. Uh, but the point is, I mean, he's got the great kick. He's he's set for life. He's a made man. It, it, he doesn't need the NFL.
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't see it happening. I he's getting up there in age as well, so he he's in the perfect spot. I think uh, Alabama could add to its trophy case with him there. They show obviously show no signs of slowing down. Um, you know, Alabama has a clear legacy that's been laid the last ten years. Clemson, though, this was a coming out party for them. Finally making a big step forward a team that's been loaded with talent for the last few years under Dabo Swinney, but uh, this year obviously an undefeated regular season a semi-final playoff win going into the national championship Chris what do you what are you making of Clemson's future
1: well Dabo Swinney showed that he is a bright coach with a bright future and Clemson's a program that has been on the cusp the last two or three years I mean they have produced a lot of great talent Sammy Watkins comes to mind uh so it's not like you know this team just came out of nowhere um they I think are going to be there for a while because this is only going to help what has already been a strong pipeline at Clemson and if Dabo Sweeney can continue to populate that program with high quality talent he's shown that he can coach it up he's shown that he can be a big game coach even though they didn't win the game I thought he coached a very solid game and I just think that Clemson has a very bright future certainly i would expect them to get back to the playoffs in the next few years maybe not next year but i would expect them to be a fixture in the championship race again for years to come
0: yeah certainly um the thing that separated this clemson team from the clemson teams of years past is that they had a great defense and they're losing a lot of those key defensive players uh probably to the nfl draft after this year you know clemson has always been that high-flying offense they produce like you said not just Sammy Watkins, but DeAndre Hopkins as well, and Martavis Bryant. They're known as producing good offensive players. The good thing for them, though, Deshaun Watson's coming back. He's going to be strong. Uh, He's not going to be recovering from an ACL injury like he did at the start of this year. Uh, Coming back for his third year. And Mike Williams, their top wide receiver, who had a really horrific neck injury, uh, he'll be back as well. So uh, the offense will be alive and kicking. As long as Deshaun Watson's on the team, uh, they 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 have to be the presumed favorites to, to win the ACC again because he's so electric.
1: Oh, certainly. As long as Deshaun Watson's coming back, they're in it. I mean, that that guy had a fantastic national championship. Uh, the only thing that was missing was a win. So he he's going to be in con- the conversation for the Heisman, uh, all that fun stuff. So Clemson's future is very bright, even though they lost a close one. Uh, very bright. All right, Bob, what, any final thoughts on the college football season? What What was your – any final takes?
0: Um, well, you know, we, we talked a little bit about our general takes. I think uh, the regular season was fantastic. Every week we had exciting finishes. The Bulls season a little bit disappointing, a lot of blowouts. A great national championship game, though, that's kind of saved that Bulls season. Um, and then I think just overall, there are, are good teams everywhere, and there's not one – concentration of, of, of dominant teams anybody can be anyone if they're a top 25 team and i think uh we're like i said in the past we're, we're approaching a time where uh parody seems to be reigning supreme in college football
1: certainly you had a lot of different teams in the hunt up till the end and you have a lot of different teams from a lot of different conferences in the hunt up until the end i think every member of the Power Five had two representatives that could have made the playoffs, maybe with the exception of the Pac-12, because there were a couple of two-loss teams there. But the Big Ten was fun. You know, you had an unofficial quarterfinal in the Big Ten title. Um, I expect more of that in those conference championship games. Uh, Notre Dame and Stanford played in the last week. That was sort of a play-out game. The loser was eliminated. Florida, Florida State was big. So you had a lot of games down the stretch that were really, really meaningful. And all those people who railed against the playoffs for all those years saying it would tarnish the regular season looking kind of foolish right now because it's only made it 100 million times better.
0: Yeah, certainly. The college football playoff has, has only made things more enjoyable all around uh, it. The quality of the bowl games and, and everything about it ha- has made college football a better uh, event to watch for sure.
1: Alrighty. Well, college football was not the only kind of football being played in the last few days here. We had some pretty big games in the NFL playoffs, always a lot on the line when you get to the wild card round. Two in particular were fantastic, the other two were a little bit lopsided, but the big one, the one everyone's talking about, the game that ended very, very ugly was Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, and if you didn't know that these two were division rivals going in, you certainly figured that out very quickly, and had the impression that these teams didn't like each other very much when it was over. Bob Probably one of the craziest games I've seen, but not for uh, a lot of good reasons. A lot of ugly plays. What were your overall thoughts on just how this game went down? For the record, for everyone, Pittsburgh won eighteen to sixteen, but there were some very borderline. Well, yeah, quite frankly, dirty plays at the end. Uh, Cincinnati's uh, Vontez, perfect. excuse me, uh, had a very crucial helmet-to-helmet hit on Antonio Brown. And then Adam Jones lost his cool and was flagged for another 15-yard penalty that put Pittsburgh in the field goal range. They were on the 50-yard line, took them all the way down to about the 20, and then they hit what ultimately was the game-winning field goal in the final second. So, Bob, what were your thoughts about just everything that happened and, and how the game finished?
0: You know, from a pure entertainment standpoint, if you're a casual fan that is somewhat interested in football, if you turn that game on and watch the start to finish, you walk away saying, wow, that was one of the most exciting games I've ever watched. If you follow football a little bit more, or if you don't like vicious, violent hits and a lot of side fighting, uh, it was a little bit embarrassing for three quarters. It was a great game, very physical, hard hits. There was some jawing, which is to be expected. This is the third time they've played this season, uh, it was really that Ryan Shazier hit on Gio Bernard that just opened up a huge can of worms. Uh, you kind of had the feeling that that was brewing up. Uh, Vantes Burfic was getting into it with David DeCastro or David DeCastro earlier, but it was that Vontaze, or excuse me that Ryan Shazier hit on Gio Bernard that uh, was hard to watch in slow mo, and they kept playing it, and it just made me wince every time. Uh, it, it turned out, and then. On top of it all, Mike Tomlin threw the red challenge flag to get the ball on that play, which I totally understand doing it, but that's just like rubbing salt in the wound, especially when you're in Cincinnati doing that. Chris, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of hits, but what was your thought on that hit in particular?
1: Yeah, that hit in particular was very, very tough hit to watch. Uh, technically, though, under the rule books, it was a legal hit uh, because yeah. Gio Bernard had established himself as a runner and when that happens, you can go high. And uh, Ryan Shazier, actually, after the game, I believe he sent uh, Gio Bernard a tweet. Uh, so, look, I understand. Football's a very violent game. That hit, it's easy to point at as a dirty hit, but it was not a dirty hit. It was a it was a clean hit by the rule, hard hit, and unfortunate that Gio Bernard was hurt. It's unfortunate that it had to happen, but that's part of the game. And, yeah. yeah, it was rubbing salt on the room to then challenge and get the ball uh, for pittsburgh because he had fumbled and pittsburgh had a clear recovery and then uh so not only do you lose uh, gio bernard but then pittsburgh gets the ball right on top of that so it was a uh a, a very it, it, that was definitely a catalyst for the rest of the game because then burfitt uh hit ben roffness very hard uh drove Just him out three of the plays game. later yeah drove him out of the game and again legal hit it was not a dirty hit uh, I, I don't believe he went. I mean, he didn't go helmet to helmet. It was it was his cleanest hit of the night. Well, not cleanest, but he had some other hits that were questionable, but that one was not one of them. Uh, so again, those two hits right there definitely catalyst for the whole situation. But by the letter of the law, they were legal hits. And when Ben Roethlisberger left that game, the entire complexion changed. Pittsburgh had complete yeah. control, fifteen to nothing lead. They were beating Cincinnati. You felt that they were just going to run away with it. And then that hit happens. Roethlisberger leaves and the Steelers fall apart. The Bengals come all the way back, take a 16-15 lead. Then, Pittsburgh has the ball. Landry Jones is still in. Interception. Game over. But then, then the Bengals fumble the ball away. On the very next play, Jeremy Hill... Fumbles the ball back to Pittsburgh, and that's when Mike Tomlin decides to put Ben Roethlisberger back in for the last drive. Didn't look like he should be in there because he didn't look like he could throw the ball more than 15 yards. But he gets him to the 50, and that's when the drama starts. Completes a pass to Antonio Brown, who gets drilled by Burfitt. Well, he
0: attempts a pass. He does, that was not a completion. It wasn't
1: complete. No, no, yeah, yeah. He, he attempt a pass. It, it, it hit Antonio Brown in like the hands, but then he was drilled. And yeah. Burfitt came in late, came in high. He has been suspended three games for this hit and other antics, the the DeCastro antics you uh, alluded to earlier, which arguably he could have been ejected for. Um, But yeah, takes out Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown is on the ground. He is down and out, and Burfitt gets flagged. So now the Steelers go from the 50-yard line to the 35-yard line with this flag. But Joey Porter, yes Joey Porter the former Steelers linebacker is on the field jawing at the Cincinnati players a little bit this inspires Adam Jones to rush over shove a ref out of the way and try to go after Porter Porter's just snickering there his backs off Porter didn't do anything violent he just antagonized wasn't supposed to be on the field though that is against NFL rules because he's an assistant coach. He's not allowed to be on the field in that situation. Only the medical staff are. So, by the letter of the law, Pittsburgh got away with one. But Adam Jones completely lost his cool, shoved an official out of the way, and was flagged 15 yards for that infraction, giving Pittsburgh, not now uh, going from on uh, the 5 yard line, which is about a, what, 40, no, 52-yard field goal. Now you're at the 20. It's about a 35, 37-yard field goal much easier especially in the conditions that game was played in and of course Pittsburgh hits the field goal takes a 18 to 15 no 18 to 16 lead which was the deciding score of the game and ultimately uh wins by that margin bob the end of the game with a perfect hit on brown the sequence of plays that led to 30 yards of penalties for the Pittsburgh Steelers what what do you think about that
0: well, Vontaze Burfik was the reason the Bengals were winning because he knocked Ben Marathisberger out and he was just playing out of his mind, but he was also playing out of control. And he's the reason he got the interception as well on Landry Jones. Um, he's also the reason that they lost because he lost his cool. Uh, you know, the, the, the referees, they did a poor, a very extremely poor job of, of keeping this game under control. And I honestly, I, I think that Vontez Burfik should have been ejected when he was seen strangling David DeCastro on the ground f- far earlier than that Ryan Shazir hit. If he's kicked out, that sends a clear message to both sides of the team that this isn't going to be tolerated at all. And you probably would have had a clean game. And from the NFL standpoint, Antonio Brown is healthy. Ben Roethlisberger is healthy. You don't want your stars hurt in the playoffs that's not good tv that's not good that's not good co- coverage so uh, the refs definitely fumbled this away and what we got was the result at the end uh Adam Jones getting flagged uh the refs not noticing Joey Porter on the field or calling him out on it and Vontes Berfick also getting flagged though that was in my opinion uh very justified for the, for the vicious hit that he, he laid on Antonio Brown uh i understand that uh you know you have a vicious hit on Gio Bernard who took maybe he he had the ball for a lot longer than what Antonio Brown did, but you also had a a hitting a defensive receiver against Marcus Wheaton uh, of the Steelers a long time earlier. So Bengals fans, it being in Cincinnati, they definitely had the feeling that the refs were out to get them, but they just played maybe a hair more out of control than the Steelers did and weren't able to get away with some of the vicious hits that the Steelers were. And Honestly, the calls on those hits, I I think we're all right.
1: Yeah, the calls on those hits were all right. I I don't think that the hits were the problem. I agree with you. Uh, Burfitt's uh, actions against David DeCastro were the first that crossed the line. If they lay the hammer down there, it maybe doesn't play out that way. Well, obviously it doesn't because Burfitt doesn't hit Antonio Brown the way he does. Who knows what would have happened because Ben Roethlisberger – maybe wouldn't have left the game with an injury, would have changed it all, and maybe Pittsburgh wins in a row. I mean, maybe we don't even have a close game because Cincinnati doesn't amount a comeback. So that would have changed everything. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely think that Burfick should have been suspended three games. I think that was it, that's an appropriate punishment for the actions that he committed. And it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, I've seen a lot of Cincinnati fans post a lot of conspiracy theories and things like that. The fact of the matter is, their team lost its cool down the stretch. Yeah. If they don't commit those 30 yards of stupid if penalties. They don't fumb-
0: if they don't fumble the ball. And
1: if they don't fumble the ball down the stretch there, they win that game no problem. So Cincinnati has no one to blame but themselves. Uh, it, it was a very tough loss to watch, uh, especially being from Cleveland. We're, we're used to losses like that. Yeah. And uh, it was very Cleveland-esque loss, but the Bengals have no one to blame but themselves. Bob, you mentioned the injuries to Brown and Roethlisberger. Obviously, those are going to play a huge factor in Denver this weekend. Pittsburgh was a lot of people's dark horse to get to the Super Bowl, but seeing Ben Roethlisberger in that last drive, and it's come out that he probably hasn't torn AC joint, do they have any chance in Denver?
0: They have a chance if they can get Roethlisberger and Brown on the field and playing somewhat like the players that we've seen. If either of those two guys are out i'm going with denver I- i'm making a conditional pick if roethlisberger and brown are starting i'm going Steelers. if the bronco if either of those guys are out I- i'm picking the broncos uh because they needed all their firepower last time they played denver just a few weeks ago to win 34 to 27 and the reason they won was because ben roethlisberger and antonio brown went ballistic in the second half antonio Brown's 16 receptions 189 yards and two touchdowns uh yeah, that, that's the only way they're going to win. You know, we did we did forget about two things, and, and then I'll get your pick from that game. First off, Martavis Bryant's touchdown catch insane. has gotten completely overlooked. What an insane catch. Uh, definitely he caught check it with on his on YouTube.
1: thigh. He caught it flipping over with his thigh.
0: Yeah, it, it was a, an incredible catch that has barely gotten talked about because so much extracurricular stuff has happened. And then just the fact that Ben Roethlisberger – re-entered that game uh he is the toughest quarterback in football the hits that he takes the way he sells his body out and he's been doing it for so long that was impressive to see that his his arm was just hanging limp just a quarter ago and then for him to come in and try and throw the ball uh i don't know what painkillers they got him on but man that was very impressive but Um, Anyway,
1: very impressive, but there is absolutely no way he's 100% for Denver and they don't have Le'Veon Bell. Their running game wasn't that strong against Cincinnati and Denver's defense is scary, ferocious, and it's playing at home. Pittsburgh has absolutely no chance in this game. Denver is going to throttle them. There is absolutely no way Ben Roethlisberger is healthy enough to beat them. Antonio Brown, maybe he's on the field, but there is no way. This is my lock pick of the week. Denver by a landslide. I don't see how Pittsburgh wins. They're way too banged up.
0: Yeah, I, it's it's hard to argue with you. Um, again, I'm, I'm just on the condition that both Big Ben and, and Brown are on the field. I'm sticking with the Steelers. They were my pick to win the AFC just last week. So I, I have to ride that out. But it's not looking good for them, no.
1: Not looking good for you, bro. But... Speaking of Cleveland-esque games, we had two of them over the weekend. Bob, it's like we were watching the Browns play in two playoff games because Minnesota fans, you have a taste of what we've been watching for the last 16 years. How, I mean, it's hard to blame Blair Walsh because he accounted for all of their offense, nine points. But Bob, that field goal, 27 yards. Yeah. And it wasn't even close. And the Laces were in.
0: Yeah, Yeah, man, you you got to make it. You got to make it. Um, First off, this game was frigid. (laughs) Incredibly cold and and was painful just to watch them walk around in that cold. Uh, Of course, it was going to be a low scoring game with field goals. You can't move when it's that cold. Um, It was a great comeback by Seattle to, to score 10 points, all 10 of their points in the fourth quarter. Uh, but a very well defended game by the Vikings as well. Neither was really able to get any kind of offense going. Probably I'm chalking that up to the cold. Um, Kim Chancellor made an incredible strip fumble on Adrian Peterson in the fourth quarter. That was very clutch. Uh, but man, Blair Walsh had it. And some of those post-game interviews, uh, you had to feel, terrible for for Walsh and and for the Vikings they had it they had the Seahawks and they really should be playing this weekend but you got to make the field goal
1: oh you definitely have to make the field goal and Adrian Peterson's not getting enough flack for that fumble I understand Chancellor made a big play but man I mean when you're considered one of the best running backs if not the best running back in the NFL you cannot fumble in that clutch situation by the way should have mentioned this earlier Seahawks won 10 to 9 just for all you listeners out there um, but that fumble led to the go-ahead score, what ultimately won the game, the deciding uh, 10-9 to factor. And Seattle pulling another one out in the fourth quarter in the playoffs. The last playoff win they had was against Green Bay, and it was a crazy finish. Uh, some onside kicks, overtime, it was insane. It looked like they were dead to right, and they pulled it out. This had that feel. I mean, the fourth quarter starts... Fumble, broken play, looks like Wilson's going to lose 20 yards. Oh, wait, he finds Tyler Lockett wide open for a huge gain, and then they go on to score a touchdown. I mean, that play changed the game. That broken play that turned into a huge Seattle game turned the game, and from then on, you just felt Seattle gain the momentum. They get the big fumble. They come down and take the lead, and then they hold on by a hair, and Minnesota had them. They had them on the edge of the cliff. All they had to do was push and they whiffed and you feel for Blair Walsh because he hits three field goals. He was all of their offense, but he didn't make the one that mattered the most. And and it was ultimately you, you got you, you feel bad for the guy, but it was ultimately the reason they lost the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, You know, I, I do kind of take issue with you saying we know what it feels like uh, as Browns fans, because I've only witnessed one playoff game in my whole life from the Cleveland Browns. So
1: but know- it ended in tragic fashion. That's true, cut. but I mean... <laughs> the ball was in his hands, it was a first down, they could have milked the clock.
0: That's twice as much tragic fashion that happened this weekend than I've ever seen in the playoffs, so I, I, I kind of don't know what it's like. Yeah, I,
1: I guess I'm going historical, to The drive, the fumble, uh, a, lot of, a lot of Cleveland heartbreaks. Game 7 of the 97 World Series. Historically, Cleveland knows what it's like to lose like this.
0: Yeah, that, that's very true. All right, well, looking ahead, Seattle's going into Carolina. This is a rematch of a, of a really good game in the regular season. Who you got in that one?
1: Arguably the best game of the regular season. This, the, when they yeah. met in the regular season, it was a very fun game. Greg Olson had the deciding touchdown late. Uh, so these two teams do not like each other. This is uh, one of the best non-division rivalries in the NFL right now. And you've got this Wilson-Newton thing brewing and it feels like it could be the next generation's Manning-Brady. And I'm not, I'm not you know, saying they're on that level yet, but they've met a lot in some consistently meaningful games, including uh, last year's playoffs, which was closer than people thought. And I think that this is going to be a very chippy, hard-fought game, much like Minnesota-Seattle was. Things are going to come down in the wire, but you know what? I think Cam Newton and the Panthers... This is their year. I think they overcome Seattle, but this is by far the most intriguing game on the schedule this weekend. Definitely going to watch. I think it could go either way, but I'm going to give the edge to Carolina because I think that they're just a little bit better and, and they've just been playing so well all over the board. I think they're going to do it.
0: That's a good pick. Um, in Charlotte, the high on Sunday is 43 degrees. That's at least 53 degrees warmer than uh the Seahawks last game. So that's going to feel good for them. And then I don't know if you hear that rumbling, but that's Beast Mode coming back, man. Uh he was going <laughs> to try and go against the Vikings. Uh apparently he was all set to go but then scratched himself. There are some rumors, some drama. I feel like he's going to play. I feel like he has to play. That could give them a boost. I have to go with Seattle. This is my other Super Bowl pick. <laughs> uh i'm I'm sticking with it i've stuck with them for a long time if beast mode is back i think that's gonna lift not only the offense but it lifts the defense as well when marshawn lynch is playing and laying down some hits so i gotta go with seattle uh with the return of marshawn lynch
1: and look this is the hardest game to pick we just talked about the easiest game to pick this is the hardest game to pick i could see either of these teams winning i'm gonna pick carolina because they're at home I think Cam Newton's on a mission to prove that he is an elite quarterback. He needs the playoff success like Russell Wilson has. I think this is the year he gets those feathers in his cap and ascends into that elite. He's already an elite quarterback, but you need the playoff acumen to really cement yourself as an elite quarterback. If he loses now, yeah, everyone will say, okay, you had a really great season, but I think that's going to motivate them and him a little bit more I think they get it done in the playoffs, and this is a big rivalry game. I think they're going to be extra motivated to knock Seattle off of their, you know, two-time defending NFC championship.
0: Yeah, I can see if motivations playing out on, on both sides as well. But I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be makes for the most exciting game. Um, all right. Well, we we have two more playoff games to talk about. Uh, Washington versus Green Bay. Green Bay, the road team. Aaron Rodgers coming in. And they kind of took off, especially late in that game. Dropped a lot of points on Washington. Uh, Surprised both you and me. We both picked Washingtons for a game uh, to win this game. Uh, a thirty-five to eighteen win for Green Bay. Chris, what are your thoughts on that one?
1: Yeah, it's amazing. We should have mentioned this earlier. All four road teams ended up winning. We picked three road teams, but oh, no, well, you picked them all. I picked Washington. I actually thought Washington had a little bit of momentum and the Packers were floundering, but I overlooked the fact that the uh, Washington has one of the worst run defenses and Green Bay's rushing attack finally came alive with Eddie Lacy, James Starks, combining for over 100 yards. Aaron Rodgers, you look at his yardage total and you're saying, man, but he st- really looked like the Aaron Rodgers. We're accustomed to seeing 21 of 36, two touchdowns, 210 yards. Captain Kirk, Kirk Cousins had a solid game. 29-46, 329 yards and a touchdown. But he piled up a lot of yards because they had to throw it. Um, not not the most efficient day for him. Washington couldn't get anything going on the ground. And this game got away from them quickly when Green Bay scored those 17 points in the end of the second quarter. Uh, they were down 11-0, 17-0 run, and then took it to them in the second half, 18-7. So just Green Bay proved to be a little bit too much for Washington and uh, moved on.
0: Yeah. I I do think that the green Bay Packers might've found something. They lined Randall Cobb up a lot in the backfield. Uh, he got five rushes and and those weren't really end arounds. Those were between the tackles rushes that they gave him. So I think they are finally adapting to this kind of limited offense that they have late in the season. Um, that being said, I was never really sold on the Redskins, even though I did pick them to win. I, I was just kind of less sold on the Packers. Uh, Let's see what the Packers are going to do next week heading in to Arizona. Uh, that's a team that demolished the Packers late in the season. Uh, this will be the test. And if Green Bay prevails, then 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 I will be able to uh, make some judgments on them. But until then, I, I'm kind of still hesitant to, to kind of ride the Green Bay train.
1: Yeah, I'm not riding the Green Bay train at all. Arizona's going to win this game. It's in Arizona. They crushed them a few weeks back. I think it should be closer than that game because how could you not get closer than that game? It took forever. I think don't think Green Bay scored until the fourth quarter. So the key is, of course, the run. Green Bay got its running game going against Washington, a defense that is not that good. Arizona's defense is a totally different animal and yeah. yeah they're playing on the road again but it's a totally different animal and Green Bay is going to have to deal with a much tougher opponent and by the way a much better quarterback a better offense a more dynamic offense in Arizona with a you know I think Arizona is just has so much more going for it than Washington it's like they're moving up in a whole new weight class this is, I think, the second easiest game to pick. I'm not ruling the Packers completely out because I think Aaron Rodgers has that magic. But Carson Palmer's a darn good quarterback too. Arizona's got a much better defense. I don't see Green Bay getting the running attack going as well as it did against Washington. And when Green Bay is not balanced, they struggle mightily. I think Arizona wins fairly convincingly. Yeah,
0: I I agree with you completely. Arizona is head and shoulders a better team than Washington in all facets facets of the game. They have big-time wide receivers. They have a big-time quarterback. They have a really good defense, and they have a really good coach. Uh, It's in Arizona. We've already seen what happened when when Green Bay went up against Arizona. I I think Arizona is going to handle the Packers very easily. I, I don't think we have much to talk about in that game.
1: Not this week, but maybe next week. Who knows? You never know, man. Yep. All right. Well, this last one, we saved it for last for good reason. It was easily, not even close, the worst game of the five we've talked about. Chiefs 30, Texans 0, Brian Hoyer 5 turnovers, 4 interceptions. Bob, need I say more?
0: No, I, I think that's it. Uh, really, the the big takeaway fr- from this game is Jeremy Macklin got hurt. And, and that's really going to hurt the Chiefs if he can't go against New England. But, yeah, this game was a blowout. The Texans just weren't able to do anything offensively. Brian Hoyer, complete meltdown, like you said. Uh, so He was so bad that they thought that in goal line, lining up J.J. Watt at quarterback with Vince as his as his lead blocker in a wildcat formation was their best chance to get in the end zone. And that play was a disaster. Uh, The the Texans just were were the worst playoff team in the field.
1: Not even close. Houston was by far the worst team in the field. They were there on their defense and a product of a very weak division, arguably the weakest division. And you know Brian Hoyer, Cleveland guy. But when you're when when your two quarterbacks are the same two quarterbacks, the Browns trouted out in 2014, that could be a problem. And Hoyer is a solid journeyman quarterback, but he's, he can get maybe get you there if everything's right. But he showed you need a little bit more. And the Chiefs are the hottest team in this field. 11 straight wins. Their defense is really good. Their offense is super efficient. Alex Smith is playing outstanding football. But Bob, you mentioned Jeremy Macklin. Big question mark this weekend in New England. And Julian Edelman looks like he's going to come back. Who you got?
0: Uh, I, I, I like New England. I think uh, with with Macklin Hurton and the, the Patriots kind of having that week to rest, the, the, they're a team that's been really beat up. It's in New England. Uh, I have to, to favor New England. They just have done it so many times. They know how to win. Uh, they might be a little bit more healthy than, than the past few weeks. So I, I'm going Patriots.
1: The bye definitely helped the Patriots. They needed it the second most. I think the Broncos and the Bengals were 2-3 uh, and three on that list, and unfortunately only two of them could get it. Uh, yes, I agree. I think New England wins, but I think it's going to be a very close game. I think that's, that Kansas City defense is going to pose a challenge for New England, who has lost some of its its balance with LeGarrette Blunt and Deion Lewis out. Uh, Edelman coming back will help. Gronk will help, but they got to have a little bit of balance and and some guys out of the backfield either running the ball or catching it in the flat. So it'll be interesting to see how New England handles that. But I think if Jeremy Macklin doesn't play, I think the Chiefs' offense is going to change a little bit. And I think New England's defense can game plan for them a lot easier if Macklin's not on the field. So I think that would swing it for me, definitely. Even if he plays, I'm going to pick New England because I picked him to win the Super Bowl in the preseason. I'm not going to jump off now much in the way you're riding that uh, Pittsburgh train. But I am worried about this game. It's not an easy game to pick. I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a pretty close game. I think New England wins at home. Yeah, man. We're going to have some fun divisional games this weekend. It's going to be awesome. But that is not... The games weren't the only things that happened in the NFL. The Miami Dolphins made the first move of the coaching carousel thus far, even though Hugh Jackson is getting a lot of... You know, talks on Twitter, the Giants, the 49ers, the Browns, all courting him. Adam Gase has been introduced as the Miami Dolphins head coach. Bob, former offensive coordinator of Denver for two years. Last year, he was the offensive coordinator in Chicago. Is this a good hire by Miami?
0: Yeah, he's been a hot name for a while. Uh I don't. I don't know because his work as a OC has been with a Peyton Manning and that high-powered Denver offense, and B Jay Cutler and Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, yes, he he did a good job game planning for Jake Cutler this year. He he had a a good year, but uh, that's you know Jake Cutler has had lots of good years in, in the past. So let's see what he does with Ryan Tannehill as his quarterback without really a big name, big target at wide receiver. Uh, Don't sleep it'll on be Jarvis
1: Landry, buddy. Jarvis Landry is a good wide receiver.
0: He He's a good one. He's not Demaryius Thomas or Alshon Jeffrey.
1: Okay, that's a little unfair. I,
0: I know it's unfair, but that's I what Adam Gase has had <laughs> and, and to play with. So uh, we'll see. I, I think it's a good hire just because, yeah, he's an up-and-coming name. He's a hot name. Uh, He's no better or no worse than, than the other guys that have been mentioned. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting. You have a quarterback that you've invested a lot in bring the guy who seems to work well with quarterbacks so yeah it makes a lot of sense
1: it has been all quiet on the coaching front hugh jackson's getting a lot of looks no one's been hired yet as of this recording but bob black monday carnage hit the nfl a little bit maybe a little lighter than we thought what was your biggest surprise uh, from black monday
0: honestly my biggest surprise was that the colts kept both pagano and grigson I thought at least one of those guys would be gone, particularly uh, the GM Gregson, Ryan Gregson. Uh, I, I'm really surprised that they re-up Chuck Bagano as well. I, I thought that they were just going to use this as an opportunity to bring in a, a, a new name, kind of start start fresh since Andrew Luck uh, was hurt for, for most of the season. So that's really my biggest surprise was a non-move.
1: My biggest surprise was Lovie Smith getting canned after two years in Tampa. Look, when he was hired, they knew it was a long rebuild. They went 2-14 and 14 because they thought Josh McCown was going to be their quarterback, and that failed miserably. They choose Jameis Winston. He progressed very well this year, had a strong rookie year by all accounts, in the running for rookie of the year offensively. 6-10, not a great record, but a big improvement from 2-14, and 14, and they fire him two years in. I thought that was odd. I thought he had earned a third year to try to take this team to the next step. Uh, but hey, you know, I think that's a good job. A uh, good young quarterback in place and uh, fairly solid weapons there as well. So we'll see what happens. But more news out of the NFL. The movement to LA is looking like it's really, really close as of this recording. The Rams, Raiders, Chargers all filed the move there. Only two at most will be selected. Momentum is building for a Rams Chargers proposal. Bob does. L.A. deserve a franchise. They've had a franchise before. They've had the Raiders. They've had the Rams. Rams for a long time. Do they deserve a franchise?
0: I don't know who deserves a franchise and who doesn't. They are the second largest market in America, so it is a little odd that they don't have a football team based around them. That being said, the NFL is insanely popular, insanely profitable with the 32 teams in their locations uh, you know, a lot is said that the Rams aren't getting a lot of support, but there's they're selling their games out still. Uh, they're 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 still getting fan support. That's more th- that can be said for a lot of MLB teams. Uh, I just find it odd that there's all of a sudden a huge rush to get possibly three teams in LA in one year. It's strange, and and it kind of makes me feel bad for a city like St. Louis that doesn't have the same pull and alert as LA does. I kind of wish that all three of these teams would stay.
1: This in from Ian Rappaport. It sounds like the Raiders have bowed out Rams and Chargers uh, details still working out. So as of this recording, it's looking very likely that it will be the Rams and the Chargers going to LA. We'll probably talk more about this next week when the more details flush out, but I kind of agree with you. I feel like San Diego is causes the least damage because it's not that far from LA two hours away. I know it's not in the city of San Diego, but at least it's not that big of a deal. The Rams, I feel like ripping them from St. Louis would be kind of wrong. I mean, they they had some great years in St. Louis, the greatest show on turf. Uh, I know LA had the Rams and to get them back would be very special for Los Angeles, but you're really ripping a team from St. Louis and Oakland makes sense in the sense that I'm pretty sure Oakland really, really wants a new stadium. Because that stadium is not exactly the most desirable place, so I think that uh, you know maybe the the Rams and Raiders or something along those lines, or, or the Chargers and the Raiders, but I I, don't, I just have a problem stealing a team from St. Louis. I think that that does too much harm. I know why they want the Rams and the Chargers, because if it's the Raiders and the Chargers, they'd have to realign the divisions to make that work because of the NFL rules, and teams aren't comfortable with two teams in the same conference in the same city. So, I know that's why they want to do the least damage to the division, and if the Rams and the Chargers move, they don't have to change the divisions at all. So... I don't know. I think it's kind of unfortunate that the Rams will, that St. Louis would lose a franchise, but Hey, if the Ra- Raiders still went out. Maybe St. Louis can get the Raiders to go to St. Louis.
0: Oh yeah. That'd be interesting. I do think that, you know, Oakland being so close to San Francisco, that's a little silly to have two franchises, especially one uh, that has such a poor facility in, in the Oakland Coliseum. So for me, they make the most sense for moving, but honestly, I, I wish that all three stood in their current locations.
1: I do too. I think all three should stay in their current location, and yeah, I mean, any if anything, maybe the Chargers or the Raiders only them move. Why does LA deserve two teams? I mean, I know it's a huge city, but come on, man.
0: Yeah, it's silly. I, I don't I don't I don't understand it.
1: All right, Bob. One last thing. I'm a big tennis fan. Australian Open starts this weekend. Super pumped, even though it's on at like three in the morning, and I can't watch it because of the time difference. I'm about to pull. I'm about to make some picks. I've got Novak Djokovic. I know that's not a big one. Not an upset or anything. It's not a flashy pick, but I think he's going to continue being dominant. Here's my upset pick. Victoria Azarenka wins in the women's draw. You have any thoughts on the Australian Open?
0: Uh, I'm going with the favorites, man. Uh, Williams in the women's and Joker in the men's. I mean, I don't I don't follow it as well as you do, but those those guys are are rolling. So they are rolling. I'm sure they're favorites.
1: I think Azarenka is back, and she is going to win this tournament. She's won it twice. She didn't beat Serena Williams both times she won it, but and she's never beaten Serena Williams in a Grand Slam. But this is the year she's coming back. Djokovic going to keep on rolling. We have jam packed this podcast full of football and just a little bit of tennis, just so we didn't think that we were all football. But thank you for listening if you made it this far. We definitely appreciate your support. Please come back to Fenley Road Sports throughout the week. We already have a couple blogs up. I know Bob's going to get one up next day here too. So we've been rolling out blogs. We've got some new features, news and review. Check that out. We kind of recap the weekend, the weekend, all the big headlines. So definitely check that out every Monday and Friday. Recap the weekend, recap the week. Please follow us on Twitter, Fenley Road Sports. Instagram, Fenley Road Sports. Come back to Fenleyroadsports.com and subscribe to our podcast via iTunes. If you want to give us some feedback, click the contact page, fill out the form, send us an email. We'll gladly answer your questions, take your feedback, and maybe even answer a couple questions on this podcast. So please, just give us your feedback. We want this to be interactive. Come join our neighborhood. Come get involved with our podcast, Fenleyroadsports.com. We're back every week. We'll see you next week. Have fun watching football.
0: All right, I'll see you, Chris.
1: Take it easy, Bob.